Hello, welcome to the David Eagle Podcast. My name is David Eagle. This is the weekly omnibus edition of David's Daily Digital Dollop, which was a project that I embarked on in 2016, where I released a podcast every single day for that year. I'm recording this introduction in 2022. What I realised, looking back at the old podcast episodes, was obviously because I'd done this project, there were 366 podcasts for 2016 alone, which I thought was a bit ridiculous. So I thought I would streamline things and create these weekly omnibus editions. We're now into week six. And as we enter February, January was a very quiet month. There wasn't really much going on. So it wasn't particularly difficult to do the project, to write a blog, to release the podcast, to record it. But then February is when things start getting really busy. I start going on tour with my folk band, The Young'uns, and it becomes more and more difficult to find a space to record in, and sometimes even to find the time and space to write in. And so we're getting to a more interesting time now for the dollops, when I have to start being creative about where I record. When you hear this sound, it means we're moving on to the next dollop. Enjoy. David's Daily Digital Dollop. Dollop 37. Young Hungarian fat gay boys and watery cat feces. I've written in a previous dollop how a fairly innocuous blog post of mine has become the most popular that I've ever written, simply because people stumble across it while searching for Mongol sex. I won't go into the reasons why I come up in search results for that phrase. If you're interested, then you can read about it here. It says, I can't even remember which podcast it was. I should have researched that for you. I've written about it in a previous dollop anyway. Scour the archives. Today, while looking at my website stats, I discovered that yesterday someone found my website by searching for young Hungarian fat gay boy. I really wish I hadn't, but for the purposes of research, I typed young Hungarian fat gay boy into Google. Google and skim read the results in order to see how many results you'd have to go down before you reached my website. I got to result 200 before I gave up, feeling rather unnerved. So goodness knows how many results this person had to wade through before they came to my website. I like the idea that someone was absorbed in a 15-hour niche porn marathon and then stumbled across my search results, which was dollop 26, entitled Dyslexic Gay Hungarian Plumber. I'd like to imagine, despite the lack of pornographic content, they became drawn to my story about attending a focus group at my housemate Elsa's place of work, which was what that particular dollop was all about. I was really enjoying watching hours of young, fat Hungarian gay porn, but now I've lost my appetite for that, and I'm really loving reading about the life of this folk singer from the UK. Oh, and I've just noticed he's written a blog post about his kettle. Oh, I must give that a read. Elsa has been asked by our next-door neighbour if she'll look after her two cats for the next few days while she's away. Elsa was delighted by this, looking forward to spending some quality time with a couple of cute animals. By which I mean the cats, not me and Ben. However, our next-door neighbour's departure seems to have coincided with the cats getting diarrhoea, and so Elsa has been spending her day cleaning up watery cat faeces. The cats are also being rather surly and unsociable, so this hasn't turned out to be the treat that she was hoping it would be. I wonder whether this was deliberate on the part of our next-door neighbour. Perhaps she's been getting annoyed with us playing music too loudly, and rather than dealing with it the conventional manner, has decided to punish us by going away for five days, entrusting the cats to us, which she has deliberately fed with diarrhoea-inducing food. Last Sunday was my housemate Ben's birthday, and I mentioned in Sunday's dollop that there are hundreds of results that come up in Spotify for the search term Happy Birthday Benjamin. The amount of tracks that Spotify has is crazy, and the types of 
tracks that it has is even more crazy. For instance, if you type music for cats into Spotify, hundreds of results will come up. This is music that is apparently meant to appeal to cats and make them feel relaxed. You'd have maybe thought that one album designed for cats would be enough, but there are loads of them, including Cats 101, music for cats to calm, relax, and help cure separation anxiety. Cat Dreams, relaxing music for cats and cat lovers. Volume 1. So, this presumably is music designed for cats and cat lovers to enjoy together. Calming music for cats. Reduce anxiety during fireworks, sickness, pregnancy and grooming. Then, of course, there's Cat Dreams. Relaxing music for cats and cat lovers. Volume 2. Suggesting that there's enough crazy people that bought Volume 1 to justify another volume. Music for Cats. Extra Long Kitten Edition. I don't know whether this is an extended version of the album or whether it's music designed for extra long kittens. Perhaps it comes with a disclaimer. Warning. Not suitable for kittens under 120 centimetres in length. Keep away from cat lovers under 100 centimetres in height as it could cause negative side effects. There's also organic relaxation music for cats and dogs. This is presumably for those people who are worried about the effects of artificially modified cat relaxation music. Although it's interesting that they've lumped cat and dogs together, assuming that they like the same kind of music, which is a highly controversial opinion in the pet relaxation music community. Perhaps we should try some of this music on Nigel and Molly, the two diarrhea-ridden cats under our current care. I might try the relaxing cat music album designed for sick cats. Or maybe I should take a more psychological approach with this, as their illness might be down to missing their owner. In which case, relaxing cat music to help cure separation anxiety might be the best solution. I'll update you tomorrow. It's nice to have something to look forward to, isn't it? Breaking kettle news. Our phone-controlled kettle has mysteriously disconnected itself from our wireless network. For some reason, choosing instead to connect itself to the free public BT wireless network. Perhaps all the internet-enabled kettles and other such domestic appliances have also connected to the one public network in order to virtually meet and to discuss their plans to overthrow their human owners. Is this the first stage in their evil plan? Fortunately, we got wise to our kettle's ways pretty swiftly and reconnected it to the home network. But other households in our street who may not drink tea as frequently as we do might still be none the wiser and are still allowing their kettles to run amok, conversing with each other over the public network. I thought about knocking on doors and explaining the situation to my neighbours, but my housemates are sceptical of my theory of machine-based world domination, and so thought that maybe I should forgo this idea. Then I remembered that I have a much larger audience on the internet, and that I could therefore reach even more people through blogging about it. And so I urge you to check any kettles and other internet-controlled domestic appliances that you might have to make sure that they haven't gone rogue and connected to a public network. I took the opportunity yesterday to test the effectiveness of the music for cats that I found on Spotify. I was curious to see if it could alleviate the sickness and diarrhoea that our neighbours' cats contracted, which conveniently timed itself for when our neighbours went on holiday, leaving us to care for their pooing pets. After reading yesterday's dollop, Jules got in touch with some medical advice about what to give cats with diarrhoea in terms of food and water. However, I am more of a new age kind of guy, and I have therefore chosen to ignore this advice and go down the alternative healing route. 
I consulted the many tracks of music for cats on Spotify and created my own bespoke playlist based on what I thought the cats might most need. Thinking that the cat's sickness might be caused by the fact that their owners had left them for a few days, I started the playlist with a classic track from Cats 101, music for cats to calm, relax and help cure separation anxiety. A track entitled Separation Anxiety Be Gone. I then followed it with a track called Calming Cures, which seemed like a good choice for a sick cat. I hope I'm not blinding you with science here. I deliberately skipped past certain tracks, such as I'm So Glad You're Home, as I thought that this might remind the cats about the fact that their owners weren't at home and refuel their separation anxiety issues. So, as you can tell, a lot of thought and care went into this. I also threw in a few hits for the cats too, including Sting's Fields of Gold, and Let It Be by the Beatles. Obviously not the real versions, but versions that have been specially arranged and recorded with cats in mind. From the album Relaxing Pop Songs for Pets, soothing popular songs for dogs, cats and bird music to relax, calm and keep company. Presumably, the actual versions of these songs don't really do it for cats, dogs and birds, but then a crack team of medical scientists, pet psychologists and music therapists worked together to produce versions of these songs that are friendly for cats, dogs and birds. I might get in contact with this team of experts and see if they're interested in working with the young'uns to create cat, dog and bird friendly versions of our albums. Miraculously, the cats are cured. Well, I say miraculously. Obviously, there is no such thing as miracles and to believe in such nonsense would be stupid. It's obviously the carefully constructed playlist of scientifically tested cat-friendly music that healed the cats. So, as I'm sure you'll agree, I've conclusively proved the scientific validity of this alternative healing method. And those clueless, rational sceptics in the mainstream veterinary world will have to wake up and realise the efficacy of healing cats purely by specially designed music. You cannot deny it. After all, the proof is in the pooing. Sleepwalk of shame. I can only recall a few occasions when I have sleepwalked. The first was while at university. I woke up, finding myself stood up, and noticed that the door to my bedroom in the halls of residence was closing behind me. By the time I'd properly comprehended what was taking place, the door had closed and automatically locked, leaving me on the outside of my room, standing in the corridor. I checked my pockets for my keys to let me back in and realised that I didn't have any pockets. The reason for my complete lack of pockets was due to my complete lack of clothes. I was standing totally naked in the corridor of my halls of residence, having no idea what on earth had just occurred and why. I'd never sleepwalked before, so it's not as if I had any past experiences to relate this to. But despite my overwhelming confusion, this really wasn't the time or place to ruminate on what had just occurred. I would have to visit the security building in order to get a new key, but that would involve a minute's walk and necessitate me going outside. I didn't really fancy walking around the university grounds completely naked, plus I'd somehow have to try and explain to the security staff what was happening rather quickly, lest they become freaked out by the fact that I'm walking towards them in the nude. And how was I going to alert them? Walk through the grounds towards them, shouting, Warning! Warning! I'm coming towards you and I'm naked! 
and this wouldn't really be much of an explanation. It's not as if they'd hear me shouting about being naked and approaching them and think, oh, I'm glad he warned us about that, otherwise that would have been a bit awkward, wouldn't it, lads? I'd ideally want them to know the reason why I was approaching them completely naked before I actually reached them. Me shouting at the top of my voice that I was naked would surely attract more attention than just the security staff. I didn't really want to wake up all the students in the university by walking naked through the grounds shouting about being naked. Naturally, people would open their windows and have a look. I'm not bragging here, suggesting that people would obviously want to enjoy this visual treat. They're only human after all. I just mean that if they were woken up by me shouting, they would be likely to open the window to see what was happening. I would need to be discreet, but at the same time be indiscreet enough so as to alert the security staff that I was naked, but not for any kinky reason, but simply because I'd just locked myself out of my room. But I knew that this would have been impossible. They would probably see me coming way before they could hear anything that I was saying. They could pick me up on their cameras. They would just see a naked man walking towards them shouting. So I couldn't walk to the security building until I'd put some clothes on. But all my clothes were in my room, which was locked. Perhaps I could find something in the corridor that would suffice to cover the essentials. Perhaps there'd be a curtain on one of the windows that I could take down and wear. You may think that this is completely illogical, but I'd just woken up, and what choice did I have? I needed something to wear, and with a complete absence of clothes, I would need to explore alternative options. I took a step into the corridor, and at that point, the light came on. I stood, frozen in horror. Someone had come out of their room. The only reason the light would come on was if someone had activated it, and the only way that they could do that was by moving. And then I remembered that I had just moved, and thus it was presumably me who'd activated the light. Again, I was not thinking logically. I was in a panic, in an odd state of alertness, by which I'm referring purely to my brain state. I was completely unalert as far as that part of me went, which is just as well, really, otherwise that could make the situation even more awkward. I tentatively tiptoed down the corridor as quietly as possible, dreading that my antics might wake someone up who may open their door to investigate. I searched for curtains, but it was no use. There were some pull-down curtains that were currently open and consequently right at the top of the window. The only way that I'd be able to get those down was by fiddling with the fastenings at the very top of the window. It was quite a large window, and so this would essentially mean that I'd have to stretch right up, standing on my tiptoes, in order to reach. This would not be an easy task and would require me to stand tall and upright. Again, not like that. I really wasn't finding this arousing. In full view of anyone who might look in, I would essentially be putting myself on exhibition, standing in front of the window displaying myself. So, another plan thwarted. The only way I was going to get some clothes was if I borrowed some from someone. I really didn't want to do this, but I had no choice. I crept to the bedroom door of the person who lived next door to me, Dan. I very quietly knocked on his door. I wanted to wake him up, but obviously didn't want to wake anybody else up. It would be a highly awkward scenario if somebody else heard the knocking, assuming it was someone knocking on their door, and opened the door to see me standing outside Dan's door, completely naked. I therefore tried a knock that was hopefully loud enough for Dan to hear, but quiet enough so as not to arouse anybody else. I knocked again, daring to knock a little louder. There was a pause, and then I heard some movement from the other side of the door. Had he heard? I pressed my ear against the keyhole. It sounded like he was getting out of bed. Brilliant! I was saved! He'd answer the door, I'd get some clothes from him, and walk to the security building and get another... Hang on, what the hell was I thinking? Imagine what he'd think when he opened his door to see me standing there completely naked. Goodness knows how he'd react. If he shouted out in shock, then it might wake others up, who might come out of their rooms to see what the commotion is all about. I needed to warn him about my physical state before he opened the door. 
I could hear him getting closer to the door. At least I assumed that's what I was hearing. My heart was beating so loudly that I couldn't really tell. But I must act quickly. If he was up, then he'd be at the door in a couple of seconds. It was important to keep my voice quiet, but loud enough that he heard me. It was vital that he heard me. Otherwise, goodness knows what would happen. Dan, I began, my voice nervous and urgent. I'm completely naked, Dan. There, I'd said it. With a bit of luck, he'd heard me, and now he'd know, so that at least he wouldn't be shocked. What do you mean he wouldn't be shocked, David? Dan, I'm completely naked. That's hardly the most innocuous phrase in the world. What did I think was going to happen next? That he'd open the door and say, Oh, so you are. Thank goodness you warned me, otherwise I'd have been really freaked out. Well, you best come in. Fancy a drink? What have you been up to? And if he had said that, then it would have been me who was freaked out, and that would add another and very different dimension of awkwardness. I needed to quickly explain what had happened before he opened the door. I hurriedly tried to explain the situation through the keyhole. I then put my ear back to the keyhole and listened for a response. I heard the sound of a wardrobe opening and then closing. I then heard rustling and further movement. I think he may have understood and was getting some clothes for me. I still couldn't be sure, though. Perhaps he hadn't heard any of what I'd said and had just heard the knocking. Maybe he was just putting some clothes on before opening the door. Should I try and explain the situation again, just in case? Dan, I'm just warning you that I've been sleepwalking. I walk up outside my room, completely naked, and the door opened. Yes, yes, I know. Shut up. Quick, get in, before someone sees. I stepped into his room and the door closed behind me. He handed me some clothes, which I hurriedly put on, and then walked to the security building got a spare key, and let myself back into my room. Fortunately, it hadn't played out as badly as it could have done. Apparently, there was a reported case of a woman in Australia who used to sleepwalk, leave the house, and have sex with complete strangers. Perhaps I'll meet her in March. Hey, babe, are you currently experiencing a parasomnia episode caused by REM sleep behaviour disorder, or are you just pleased to see me? Another reported case involved a chef who would get up in the middle of the night and cook. There is another case of a man who gets up during the night and produces serialistic artworks in his sleep. Apparently, he'd never had an artistic inclination before this started happening and doesn't have any artistic thoughts during the day. He has no recollection of creating the pieces of art, but simply discovers them upon waking the next day. He's also had requests to exhibit his work in art galleries. Damn these people! If only there was some way of programming my brain to get up in the middle of the night and create these dollops so that, upon waking, I find them to be done. But, alas, the closest thing that I've come to achieving that is getting a poltergeist to help me out. I was writing about the person who was sitting next to me on the train. They were listening to music from their mobile phone speaker and singing along. The music they were listening and singing along to was awful. It was completely ruining my concentration. Being unable to focus on writing what I was intending to write about, I instead wrote an impassioned rant about the annoying person sat next to me. Don't worry, being blind, I don't need to have the laptop display turned on, and so I set it to be turned off by default, meaning that unless this person was able to read my fingers, they would have no idea what I was writing. And given the bills that they were assaulting their ears with, I don't think that there was any chance of them having the intelligence or the ability to read what someone was writing by analysing the touch typing. Because I was angry with them, I chose to write the blog as if I was writing directly to them. I made quite a few assumptions about this person, formed purely on the fact that they were annoying me and were listening to mind-numbing shit. It was, in essence, a character assassination, based solely on their music choices and her gregarious behaviour. A lot of 
even founded on flattering conclusions were leapt to. After a good thousand words of insults, I then progressed to analysing my part in all of this. I realised that there was no chance that I would ever say anything to this person, as I would find it too awkward. Also, I observed that this person's singing was making me feel embarrassed. But why? I wasn't the person singing. It was the person next to me. It was clear to anyone looking that I was not with this person. I hadn't spoken to them at all during the journey, and I was minding my own business, typing. But it was I, for some reason, who was feeling awkward, as if I was vicariously experiencing the awkwardness that this person next to me seemed unaffected by. I was being awkward on her behalf, awkward by proxy. I then observed that one of the reasons for my frustration was because this woman's attitude to life was so different to mine. I realised that her actions were niggling away at my own insecurities. There was no way that I would have had the confidence to sing to music in public. I would even feel uncomfortable if I caught myself nodding along. I realised that part of my annoyance was actually annoyance at myself for being too socially insecure and self-conscious. I wrote all this in the blog post, suggesting that maybe I could learn something from this woman, that maybe I could view this situation as a catalyst to explore my own insecurities and social anxieties. I was really getting into this blog post, typing very fast and writing a lot about this person and their actions. But then my focus was again interrupted by the woman getting up out of her seat and leaving. I assumed that she'd just gone to the toilet. At least she wasn't too socially unaware and unintimidated to ignore standard toilet protocol, choosing simply to just urinate in a bag. I continued writing, but then after 20 minutes, the woman had not returned to her seat. It's not as if she'd left her seat in order to get off the train. The train hadn't stopped, and there wasn't going to be another stop until another 10 minutes. I was getting off at the next stop, and so I decided to shut my laptop down and ready myself. As I glanced down at my laptop, I noticed that the screen was on. And then I remembered in horror that my brother had been using the laptop earlier that day, and so I'd turned the screen on for him. Therefore, the screen had been on all the time, and I'd been typing invectives about the lady next to me and her annoying ways in full view of the very person that I was writing about. But I wasn't just writing about her, I was writing directly to her, aiming my words as if I was deliberately communicating my message to her. So it's not as if she'd think that I was just writing a blog post, but that I was deliberately addressing her, expecting her to read it. At one point, she leant against me and shuffled around a bit. That might have been in order for her to get a better view of the bile that I was spouting about her. Of course, her leaning and shuffling had led me to up my insult quarter even more. Ironically, I was writing about the fact that I was the kind of person who was too socially awkward and anxious to communicate my feelings about the person directly to her, although this is precisely what I was doing albeit inadvertently. There is a chance that her leaving her seat had nothing to do with me, but I'm pretty confident that it did. Of course, being the anxious and insecure person that I am, I felt terrible and guilty about this for ages afterwards. Tomorrow will probably pose the greatest challenge so far to this consecutive daily blogging project. I will be spending the first half of the day in a cupboard. I am not attempting some kind of highly watered-down poor man's David Blaine stunt, whereby I spend four hours in a cupboard without food or water. I shall be joined in the cupboard by Michael and Sean from my folk group The Young'uns. The cupboard is situated in the building that houses the radio station BBC Tees, optimistically labelled a studio by the people at the station. It is tiny and can barely fit the three 
three of us in and has very rudimentary technology. We've been in this cupboard before. There is only enough room for two chairs. There are only two sets of headphones and one microphone. We've even performed songs in this cupboard, which involves the three of us squatting at the microphone very close to each other while we attempt to sing in a very tight and awkward space and position. That is what we shall be doing for four hours tomorrow. We are doing a series of interviews from this one cupboard for a number of different BBC local radio stations. We will be put in the cupboard and then basically left to our own devices for four hours. A phone will ring on the desk and upon pressing a button on the tiny unit we will be connected to the radio station. We'll then get asked a series of questions, perform a live song, squatting intimately together by the microphone with no previous level checks and no idea how it actually sounds. When the interview is finished we will then be disconnected from that station. The phone will ring again, we'll press the button to answer, be put through to another radio station, get asked the exact same list of questions, have an intimate squat and a sing, be disconnected, and so the cycle continues. We start with an interview on BBC Tees at 9.45 until 10.30. At 10.30, we're on BBC Radio Links until 11. Then, at 11, we get connected to BBC York until 11.30. At 11.30, we are handed over to BBC Bristol. Then, straight after that, we are contacted by BBC Radio Wiltshire. Immediately following this is a chat and a song with BBC Radio Merseyside. And straight after that, at 1 o'clock, we are contacted by BBC Cumbria. At 1.30, we finally exit the cupboard with a new perspective on life. Decide that four hours squatting intimately in a cupboard with the same two people has pushed us to the brink and consequently disbanded the group, therefore making the last four hours completely redundant. If you're a crazy person, then you could use the above list as a schedule and tune in to all the shows. You'll probably hear the three of us becoming audibly more and more insane with each passing interview. We've had nearly two months off, and I feel as if I should have been spending that time mentally preparing myself for the moment that I have to spend four hours squatting in a tiny cupboard with the same two people, being asked the same questions over and over again. Perhaps I could have spent the time developing some technology that is able to do the interviews on our behalf. I could have fed all of our answers to previous radio interviews into a computer and then programmed the computer with a load of keywords pertaining to each answer. When a presenter asked a question, the computer will check the list of keywords and choose the most appropriate answer based on the best match. Given that I'd had a couple of months off, I'd have probably had time to make even more complex enhancements to the system, including programming the computer to detect the intonation and inflection of the radio presenter in order to register that a presenter might be making a joke, at which point the computer could choose from a series of young'uns laughter clips taken from previous interviews, ranging from mildly amusing up to side-splittingly hilarious. This invention would save us the hassle of having to actually answer the questions. We could just sit outside the cupboard, getting on with something else. And we'd only need to interrupt the young'un's radio interview autopilot system if the presenter said something off the general script that the machine was struggling to find an appropriate response for. If such a moment occurred, then the computer would then resort to playing out a series of hesitation clips until one of us came back in and took over manual control. This hesitation collection would consist of a number of er sounds and hums, throat clearings and other miscellaneous filler sounds. But unfortunately, I haven't been spending my two months off on such a project and so we're just going to have to resort to the original plan of squatting in a tiny cupboard for four hours. After the four hours of radio interviews, we then have a meeting with an accountant. Following this, we head to Middlesbrough Town Hall to do a sound check for the evening's gig, our first gig of the year. I won't get back home until midnight so I'll be out all day, meaning that I'll somehow have to write, read, edit and upload the audio and written versions of tomorrow's dollop during the day in between all the various things that are scheduled. I started writing today's dollop at three o'clock and it's now four o'clock. 
I could technically write another dollop today, for tomorrow, and schedule it to be published for some time the following day. But a part of me relishes the challenge of succeeding writing, recording and publishing on the road. Plus, I'm too lazy to write any more today. If you are at the gig tomorrow and you see me typing on stage, then you know that things have gotten serious. I think that that might be a step too far, although it would be impressive if I could sing and type at the same time, perhaps typing in rhythm to the singing. This would take multitasking to a whole new level. Back tomorrow, definitely, even at the risk of possibly ruining a gig. Okay, this is very weird. This is the point, I think, where I realise what a crazy project this is. I'm now sitting cross-legged, cross-legged, <laughs> cross-legged on the floor uh, in between dressing rooms because there are people in the dressing room that I'm in, the young'uns, Sean and Michael, and the Wilsons are in the uh, one of the dressing rooms, and the unthanks are in the dressing room next to me. And I don't really want to read the dollop out in front of people. So I'm just sitting cross-legged on the stairs with a laptop on my knee, trying to read Brill with a dictaphone also on my knee. Also, you're probably likely to hear the unfunks as well, who are having a rehearsal. So if you're wondering what's going on, that's something else to look forward to. Um, if you're not enjoying listening to this, you're about to hear probably in the background the sounds of the unfunks rehearsing. <clears throat> anyway... It's just gone 8am and I'm on the bus heading to Middlesbrough for four hours of radio interviews. As grumpy and as tired as I'm feeling right now, deep down I know that I'm very lucky. I was speaking to a friend last night who works as a nurse and had just come off a 13-hour gruelling shift and she has to do that every day. It's a thankless task for most of the time, with worried family members of patients taking their frustrations and fears out on you, not to mention people dying on you, which very rarely happens when we gig. Although you could argue that our jobs do tie in together. Someone dies on the ward, and we come along, see if they've done anything that we could write a folk song about. There's nothing like a dead person with a story to get Sean's heart racing, although hopefully not racing at a speed that would require him to need a nurse. At this point... Another folk song writer would be set to stand by in case they need to write a ballad about Sean. Although, has he really done anything of note to write a ballad about? Whereas me, on the other hand, people will be singing about my harrowing 365 consecutive daily blogging project for centuries. Is it true, Grandad, what they sing about? Is it all really true? Aye, lad. Just type David Eagle blind into Google and you'll find him. I remember my dad reading David's daily digital dollop to me every bedtime. My favourite was the stories about his kettle. Oh, I'll, I'll never forget the day when he read me David's dollop called Young Hungarian Fat Gay Boys and Watery Cat Feces. That was a real rite of passage, son. He read it to me and said, You're a man now, son. A real man. Tomorrow, we set off to Manchester from Hartlepool at 6.30 in the morning... We're doing a singing workshop at 10 until 3, and then we're heading to play a gig in Manchester on the evening. So it'll be another early morning writing session for me as I try to type up the dollop in the van on the way to Manchester. This will be somewhat of a physical and spatial challenge as our van doesn't afford the three of us much room. In order for whoever is driving to change gear, they have to put their hand between the legs of the person next to them. Or at least, that's what they tell me anyway. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Hello, Adrian from the Unthanks here. 
I'm reading a blog. That's what I'm oh, doing. goodness me. Yeah. And you're missing the rehearsal. Oh, you don't think the, yes. the rest of them are rehearsing Well, here. you know, I've got no piano uh, backstage. Mate, so Can you not just mine the piano? Yeah, just go plinky plank. Yeah, I will. That's how you should be doing. There you go. If you want to get that best album uh, vote, you know, <laughs> vote for the Unthanks in the best album category of the BBC Radio 2 Four Chords. He did that deliberately there for that uh, shameless advert. There is also no elbow space between the two passengers, and so it will be nearly physically impossible to type, not to mention trying to find the energy and inspiration to write at 6.30 in the morning, after only a few hours of sleep the night before. I also need to find somewhere to record the audio version. But when I took on this challenge, I knew that these issues would exist. My challenge is to write, record and publish a blog post every day, regardless of how busy we are and any practical problems or regardless of how weird people think I am for sitting on the stairs in everybody's way in between dressing rooms. Oh, that's that done. Is everyone gone? Well, this is ridiculous. <laughs> the reason I came out of the dressing room is because everybody was there and I didn't want to read in front of them. There's not a single person here. I could have been reading it here all along. Oh...